You're listening to The Raven and the Writing Desk, the weekly podcast about the writings of Chris Lester and Liminal Corvid Press. This is episode 32. Hey there, ladies and gents. Merry Christmas, and welcome to another episode of The Raven and the Writing Desk. I'm Chris Lester, the jolly old elf in charge of this little endeavor. I'm here to fill your podcast catcher with wonderful fiction for all the good little boys and girls. So follow me down the chimney and into today's story. Today I'm bringing you the second half of Chapter 4 in my Metamore City novel, Things Unseen. For those of you just joining us, this story began in Episode 24. So go back to your feed and get caught up before listening to the following story recap. Chapter 4 began with Morgan and Kate meeting over coffee. Together they watched a morning talk show appearance by Malcolm Ardvalos, the wealthy investment genius who is also secretly the prince of the vampire crime syndicate in Metamore City. Malcolm was making the case that the Empire should open the Telvari Rift Zone to more development, and particularly that other companies should be allowed to compete there with Kapler Pharmaceutical, which currently holds a monopoly on the Rift Zone. Morgan briefed Kate on the members of Misty Holloway's social circle. Most of their friendships are the result of political alliances between their houses. For instance, Ezekiel Kapler's father is Count Holloway's strongest ally in the Senate. One interesting exception, though, is Julia. She's a child of Clan Matthias, the most powerful house in Metamore, and Holloway's number one political rival. Julia crossed political lines to form her relationship with Zeke, which may have been motivated by the way that Clan Matthias treats its children who are born human, as Julia was. Upon arriving back at the station house, Kate was greeted by Yancy Takahashi, the Lightbringer CSI agent who was working with her and David on the body they investigated in Hunter's Hollow. Yancey's boss, Field Commander Janus Starson, is pushing Yancey to find out more about the victim's death, but there just doesn't seem to be much to go on. To help Yancey out, David agreed to go back with her to the scene of the crime, where he will talk to his contacts, something that neither he nor Kate have yet explained. Because of the danger involved in traveling to the Hollow, they will be accompanied by Kelsey Stanton, Janus's protege and one of the top combat agents in the Lothanasi Order. Meanwhile, Kate will travel to Kapler Tower, in the hope of squeezing some information out of Zeke and his family about the whereabouts of Misty Holloway. Things Unseen A novel of Metamore City Written in Red by Chris Lester Chapter 4 Continued Kapler Tower stood near the northern end of the Metamore Valley, a glossy black spire of tinted glass thrusting up from among the surrounding buildings like a finger pointed at heaven. Its four tapered sides gave it the look of a pyramid that had been grabbed and stretched. Compared to the blockier gray and white buildings around it, the tower looked slender and delicate, but it still blocked out the sky as Kate drew near on her little racing swoop. She flew to the entrance at the fourth and highest skyway level. A valet in House Kapler livery stood waiting at the entrance to the parking garage. 
Kate pulled up next to him, left the swoop hovering, and climbed off the saddle. Her helmet's tinted visor completely hid her face, so she pulled it off and shook out her hair in a purposefully dramatic flourish. It had the desired effect. The young man stared at her, speechless. Hiya, Kate said. She pulled down the zipper of her jacket and flipped open the lining, then stepped forward to give him a good look at the Imperial Intelligence badge, as well as her cleavage. I've got some Imperial business to take care of inside. She gestured at the swoop. Leave her close to the exit and keep it off the books, all right? The valet looked like he was about to protest, but Kate put a hand on his shoulder. It's okay, kid. They can't fire you for aiding a lawful investigation. If anybody gives you a hard time, you send them to me. The young man looked down at the badge again, swallowed, then looked back up at Kate. Yes, ma'am. Go right on in. Good man. Kate thumped him once on the shoulder, then left her helmet on the saddle and walked to the nearest lift. She pushed the button for the highest floor she could access without a control card. The lift slid upward in near-total silence, but the pressure against her feet told her it was accelerating, at an impressive rate. It decelerated just as sharply ten seconds later, leaving her nearly weightless, then came to a stop. The doors opened onto a broad, high lobby tiled in white marble. The house Kapler seal hung prominently on the left wall, while on the right she saw the emblem of Kapler Pharmaceutical, a stylized blue and white flower that she now realized was meant to be a nocturna's lily. Interesting. The genuine article grew in large marble planters on either side of the lobby, four or five times larger than any example of the plant that Kate had ever seen before. A large tree of a kind she didn't recognize grew in a little garden at the far end of the lobby, amid more nocturna's lilies and several other kinds of tropical plants. A broad granite reception desk stood between the lift doors and the garden. Kate strode toward it purposefully, and nodded in greeting to the receptionist, a petite redhead with dark glasses and a white business suit bearing the Kapler Pharma logo. Welcome to Kapler Pharmaceutical, the woman said, smiling politely. How can I help you? Good morning. I'm here to speak to the Baron, Kate said. The smile didn't falter, but the woman's eyes narrowed in suspicion. I'm sorry, but Lord Kapler is not available right now. Would you like to make an appointment? Kate took out the badge and passed it to the receptionist. The woman gazed at it skeptically, then ran it through the scanner attached to her computer. The machine beeped. She looked at the monitor and swallowed visibly, her eyes going wide. She turned back to Kate, opened her mouth to speak, then closed it again. Lord Kapler will make time for me, Kate said, putting a gentle emphasis on the word will. I'll need a quiet place to speak with him somewhere private. Tell him it's house business. The receptionist nodded. Very good, ma'am. If you'll follow me, please. She took Kate to the back wall, where she pressed a panel and a hidden door slid open to reveal another garden. This one was much larger and included an impressive illusion enchantment on the walls, which made it look as if they were on an elevated path through a tropical rainforest. The air was warm and humid, but not oppressively so. Kate took off her jacket and slung it over her shoulder while she walked among the narrow, spiraling paths, admiring the view. Seventeen minutes passed before another hidden door slid open and Baron Kapler entered the garden. 
He stood about 178 centimeters tall, on a level with Kate herself, but he must have weighed at least half again as much as she did. He had thick arms and broad, powerful shoulders, and while his belly had gone soft with middle age, he still looked like he could lift Kate over his head if he had a mind to. The lines of his heavy jowls were softened by a neatly trimmed black beard, and bushy black eyebrows rode low over sharp, intelligent brown eyes. "'Your lordship,' Kate said, bowing deeply as he approached. "'Thank you for making the time to meet with me.' "'Not as if I had much of a choice, is it?' he growled, showing her only a brief nod in return. "'I know what that badge means, miss. What does Count Halloway want with me?' Kate pushed back her irritation at the man's brusqueness. She already knew exactly how annoying a visit from Imperial Intelligence could be. She may have him at a disadvantage, but she could at least try to be courteous about it. He's looking for information on the whereabouts of his daughter. She's been missing for the last four weeks. Lord Kapler snorted. Has he tried watching the entertainment, Pulse? Those idiots can't shut up about her. The paparazzi are following a body double, Kate said. Word hasn't gotten out yet that she's missing, and the Count wants to keep it that way. The man smirked, his eyes telling Kate that he'd already imagined the consequences of Misty's high-profile vanishing act. I can't blame him, but why come to me? I have no interest in what his little heart is up to. Kate let the epithet pass unremarked, but she filed it away for future reference, in case the man's bigotry should prove significant later. Actually, I was hoping you could get your son to talk to me. Last we heard, he was planning some sort of adventure, and Misty was going along for the ride. The change in the Baron's demeanor was subtle but immediate. His back tensed, his fingers flexed, and a muscle jumped at the corner of his eye. Of course, he said. Next time I see him, I'll pass the word to contact you. Thank you, Kate said, giving him a brief bow. Actually... Can you tell me where I can find him? The Count is very concerned for his daughter, so it's important for me to speak to him as soon as possible. Lord Kapler smiled tightly. I'm sorry, miss, but I don't know where he is at the moment. He's a grown man, and I trust him to look after himself. I'll be happy to give you his phone number and email address, of course. That will help, thank you, Kate said. The Baron took a pen and a business card out of his pocket and wrote something on the back. There you are, he said, passing her the card. Thank you, Kate said again. She reached for the card, then paused as if remembering something. Oh, and could you give me his private number, the one he keeps for house matters and other really important business? The Baron stared at her a moment, then chuckled. It sounded a little strained. I see you've dealt with nobility before. Kate shrugged. Really important people always try to keep their personal and professional lives separated. With what you put up with from the media, I don't blame you. Lord Kapler wrote a second phone number at the bottom of the card and handed it to her. The media are nothing compared to what we put up with from our own kind, he said. Good day, miss. He turned to go, heading for the hidden door by which he had come. Kate looked down at the Kapler Pharma logo on the business card, then back up at the simulated jungle around them. A sudden thought struck her. Lord Kapler, she called to him. These plants, they're all from the Telvari Rift Zone, aren't they? He looked back over his shoulder at her. Yes, miss. 
Your company gets a lot of its medicine from these plants, doesn't it? He nodded. About a third of our current line, yes. She whistled. Gotta be a lot of profit in an operation like that. He turned back to face her. What exactly are you driving at, miss? Kate stepped up to stand beside him, then murmured directly into his ear. My lord, have you had any vampire trouble lately? The baron's face darkened. He said nothing, but his expression told her what she needed to know. She took two steps back, bowed deeply, and waited. He left without another word. A moment later, so did she. The skimmerlift doors opened, and Agent Kelsey Stanton stepped into Hunter's Hollow with her rifle at the ready. She quickly scanned the area with an efficiency born of years of training, her eyes attuned for any shape or motion that looked out of place in the perpetual twilight. She listened intently, hearing the rush of skimmers on the skyways overhead, the buzzing of a fluorescent light, the quiet skittering of something small in a nearby alley. Her nostrils flared, and she breathed in the sense of refuse, sewage, motor oil, and the low-hanging smog that came from the city's street-level factories. The place was foul, but nothing overtly dangerous seemed close at hand. She relaxed fractionally, but remained alert. Things could come at you from any direction in Hunter's Hollow, especially if your guard was down. Raising one hand, she beckoned the others forward. Yancey came first, carrying her crime scene kit in one hand and a 9mm in the other. She looked like she wanted to be anywhere else in the world right now, but she tightened her jaw and moved forward just the same. Kelsey had to give her credit. The Shori woman wasn't a frontline combatant, and never would be, but she still had guts. Behind her came the elf, Silverleaf, looking spooky and otherworldly in a long black duster and a necklace of animal bones. His long black hair stirred and floated on the breeze like a living thing, and his huge violet eyes, a mark of fairy blood if Kelsey had ever seen one, flashed and glittered as he looked this way and that, alert for any sign of danger. This one is a hunter too, she thought. She knew the detective carried a sidearm and a shoulder rig. She could see it from the way that he held that arm slightly away from his body. But the only thing in his hand was a small wooden sickle, no bigger than a table knife. It was carved with elvish sigils, inlaid with silver, or maybe mithril. Kelsey suspected it was a hell of a lot more dangerous than the pistol. They made their way, slowly and carefully, to the alley where the John Doe had been found. Kelsey went in first, checked to make sure it was clear, then went back to the entrance to stand guard. Yancey and Silverleaf went past her into the alley. The elf made his own inspection, but he seemed to be looking for something different from the threats for which Kelsey had searched. He hunkered down low to the ground, studying it closely, like a man looking for a fallen contact lens. He murmured something under his breath, then crossed the alley to the spot where the trash pile had been the day before. Every scrap had been removed when they swept the place for evidence, so Kelsey couldn't imagine what he was looking for. After a few minutes, though, he seemed satisfied, and returned to the middle of the alley. I'll need your strict cooperation for this, he said to Yancey. 
Please stay back at least five meters, and remain silent until I tell you otherwise. He turned his fairy eyes on Kelsey. That goes for you too, Agent Stanton. Kelsey shivered under the intensity of that gaze, but she nodded. I understand. Good. He turned his back on them, facing the back of the alley, and sat down, cross-legged. He unfastened his necklace of animal bones and wrapped it around his left hand, then took up the sickle again in his right. For a long time, two or three minutes at least, he sat there in silence. Then, slowly, he began to chant. His voice rang out bright and clear in the long-forgotten alley, the fluid elvish syllables filling the air and rebounding from the walls in the skyway above. Kelsey's heart filled with sudden and unexpected hope, as if she had gone to visit a loved one's grave and found it thick with wildflowers. She was so caught up in the sound of it that it took some time before she realized what was happening. A tiny sparrow flew down from its perch on the fire escape, coming to rest in front of the seated elf. It was joined a moment later by another, then a pigeon, then a starling, its yellow eyes gleaming in the dim light. Out from the cracks and shadows of the alley, other creatures emerged. Mice and rats, spiders and beetles, a bedraggled old tomcat, its sooty gray coat covered with drywall dust. They spread themselves out before the elf in a half-circle, none of them pushing or stepping on the others, predators and prey sitting side by side. All of them seemed as transfixed as Kelsey herself. The biomancer ceased his chanting and opened his eyes, looking on his assembled audience. He spoke gently and clearly, but his voice resonated with power. Little brothers, little sisters, he said. Two nights ago, a human male perished in this place. The next morning, the warriors of the light found his body. Between those times, this place was visited by another, a wise one who worked his art upon the body. If any among you saw this, I ask you to show me what you have seen. Most of the animals dispersed then, taking flight or returning to their warrens. A few stayed, a rat, a mouse, and one of the sparrows. These drew nearer to the elf, and he laid aside his sickle and gathered them into his hands. He hunched over the animals for a long time, communing with them, murmuring under his breath. The animals chirped, chittered, and squeaked in response, fluttering wings and twitching tails. After ten minutes, the elf spread his hands. Thank you, little brothers, the elf said. Go in peace. Life and health to you. The mouse, the rat, and the sparrow departed. Silverleaf stood and brushed off his jeans and duster, then turned to face Kelsey and Yancey again. You may speak now, he said. His voice was low and subdued. Yancey looked as awestruck as Kelsey felt. How did you do that? she whispered. Silverleaf shrugged. Everything speaks. You only need to learn how to listen. What did they tell you? Kelsey asked. That the body was visited by a short man with a long white beard, the elf said wearily. The sparrow told me it was the same man who lives in a shop across from the fountain where he bathes in the morning. Kelsey frowned. An old wizard who lives in a shop near a fountain. 
A memory clicked and her eyes went wide. Oh, hells. Not him. I'm afraid so, Silverleaf said, his expression troubled. It's our tax. And that's the end of chapter four, folks. Where are Zeke and the others? Is Baron Kapler telling the truth? And why is Artax trying to hide what happened to the man in the alley? The mystery continues in chapter five. Don't miss it. Ordinarily, this is the point in the podcast where I would give you my weekly writing report. However, because I'm on vacation at the time this episode is dropping, I don't actually have my report ready when I'm recording this. Check back in a couple of weeks, and I'll fill you in on how things are going. Next week, we'll be taking a brief break from Things Unseen. For the second weekend of my vacation, I'll be sharing the short story, Just Coffee. This was the bonus story for Patreon patrons that ran back in the beginning of November, so now I'm bringing it to the rest of you. Look for that episode to drop on January 2nd, and then I'll be back with more of Things Unseen on the following week. If you'd like to share your feedback about the show, send your thoughts in text or audio to metamorecityfeedback at gmail.com. To leave a voicemail, dial area code 641-715-3900, then enter extension 255082, followed by the pound sign. You can reach me on Facebook at facebook.com slash author Chris Lester, and on Twitter at Aetherius, E-T-H-E-R-I-U-S. For discussions with other fans, check out the Fans of Metamore City Facebook group. The link will be in the show notes. That's all for this week. Come back next time for more fresh new fiction. Until then, keep it on the bright side. This is Chris Lester, signing out. The contents of this podcast are copyright 2013 and 2015 by Chris Lester and Liminal Corvid Press. The show is released under a Creative Commons, Attribution, Non-Commercial, No Derivatives license. So don't change it, don't sell it, but feel free to share it all you like. For more information about this license, please visit creativecommons.org.